Uh, this morning we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of John, uh, and this is one of the best texts in the Gospel of John. So let me pray once again and ask for God's blessing as the word is preached. Father, we are so thankful for giving us so many reasons to sing this morning. We're so thankful for the scriptures. They are life-giving. They are sufficient. They are inspired. They are profitable for us. But Father, we admit that nothing good will happen right now as the word is preached unless you send your spirit. Lord, I confess that I am weak this morning. I pray that your strength would be made perfect in weakness this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to your glory as this text is preached. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have you ever tried sailing without wind? How about flying without wings? How about snow skiing without skis? How about getting tan in a snowstorm? How about holding your breath underwater for an hour? Okay, what do all these things have in common? They're all impossible. They're all impossible. Attending the impossible is often very frustrating and utterly futile, yet you and I attempt the impossible all the time. We constantly try to do things in our own strength. We try to parent in our own strength. We try to mortify uh, coveting, anger, lust, greed, and jealousy all in our own strength. And pretty soon, we get discouraged because doing these things in our own strength is not just difficult, it's impossible. And after a while, that discouragement uh, leads to even more discouragement. And then we think, the Christian life is way too hard. I want to give up. I want to quit. Can you relate to that this morning? Or is it just me? This brings us to this morning's text and the main point of this passage. And the main point is simply this. It is impossible it's impossible to bear fruit apart from abiding in Christ. Said positively, you and I will only bear fruit in our lives if we abide in Christ. Bearing fruit apart from abiding in Christ is impossible, which raises the obvious question, what does it mean for you and I to abide in Christ? I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at three things this morning, the necessity of abiding in Christ, the essence of abiding in Christ, and then the result of abiding in Christ. First is the necessity of abiding in Christ. What is abiding in Christ necessary for? Well, I just said it. Abiding in Christ is necessary for bearing fruit. Look with me again at John 15, verses 1 to 6. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that this morning? Apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing, nothing, nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Many years ago, at our old house, we had a massive, very unkempt apple tree next to our house. This tree had not been pruned in decades, and so there were branches going in every direction. It was chaos. It drove me crazy. Uh, it looked really ugly, so I thought, I'm going to figure out how to prune this thing. So I went to Google, the source of all knowledge, and I typed in, how do you prune an apple tree? And so I gathered my clippers and my saw and my ladder, and I got to work pruning that apple tree. And after about two or three hours, I had literally cut off hundreds of branches from that tree. And then I took all those branches and I put them in a massive pile next to my garbage can. And the days turned into weeks, the weeks turned into months, and after several months, all those branches were sitting there by my garbage can. And those branches, as you can imagine, dried out and became very brittle and cracked and the leaves were falling off. Um, they were pretty much, at that point, useless, worthless branches. Why? They were not part of the tree anymore. Now, what if I said to you, after several months, I went out to that massive pile of branches, and I noticed that on one of those branches, there was a brand new, lush, crisp apple. In fact, several of the branches had apples on them. They were growing right before my eyes. What would you think? You would think, Dave, <laughs> you're lying. Why? Because we all know it's impossible for branches to bear any kind of fruit if they're not part of the fruit tree. Why? Because they receive no nourishment, no sap, no water. They will not produce fruit, period, if they are disconnected from the tree. And Jesus Christ is saying the same thing. He is saying, you will not produce any fruit, period, if you are not abiding in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you and I are not abiding in Christ, it is not just challenging, it's impossible for us to bear fruit. So, abiding in Christ is necessary for bearing fruit. In addition, abiding in Christ is necessary for obeying Christ. What do I mean? John 15, 4, Jesus says, Jesus commands us, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then verse 9, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Christ 
commands us. Does he? he is not making suggestions here. He commands us at least twice in these verses to abide in him, which means that abiding in him is a necessary component of our obedience as Christians. If we are not abiding in him, we are disobeying his command. He commands us to make a decision to abide in him. This is something that you and I must do. If we don't abide in Christ, again, we will not bear fruit. Verse 5. Now, while it's true that every believer, in one sense, is in union with Christ, it's also true that we must actively abide in Christ. Well, how do we understand or decipher that? Theologians talk about how there's essentially two aspects of union with Christ. There is our legal union with Christ, and there is our vital union with Christ. What's the difference? Every single Christian, period, is in union with Christ. The moment you and I believe the gospel, we are united to Christ by faith, and nothing and no one and no circumstance can break that insoluble union. And that union is the source of our life. It's the source of our righteousness. It's the source of our forgiveness in Christ. That legal union is true no matter what. But there's also our vital union with Christ, and that is, the vital union is, is living out of that legal union. You and I can be legally united to Christ, but not receive strength or grace from that union if we are not conscientiously abiding in Christ. So again, every Christian is legally united to Christ. And theologians refer to this in several ways as legal union, federal union, objective union, but we must live out of that union through our vital union. What in the world does it mean to live out of that? How do you and I experience life from that union? John 15 is talking about that vital union we have with Christ, that life-giving union. And again, what does it mean to live out of that? What does it mean to abide in Christ in that vital way? Well, that brings us to the second point. So first is the necessity of abiding in Christ, and second is the essence of abiding in Christ. The essence of abiding in Christ. The word abide is mentioned 11 times in these um, 15 verses in John 15, 1 to 15. But what is the essence of abiding in Christ? Or how do you and I abide in Christ? And it starts with spiritual disciplines. One commentator says this, um, abide in means to continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. And then someone else says this, um, this abiding relationship as described in John 15 is natural to the branch and the vine, but it must be cultivated in the Christian life. It is not automatic. Abiding in Christ demands worship, meditation on God's word, prayer, sacrifice, and service. But what a joyful experience it is. So both these theologians are saying the same thing, that abiding in Christ involves our participation in the spiritual disciplines, primarily reading the Bible and praying. That's how you and I experience that vital union with Christ. Well, is that what Jesus is saying 
in John 15, 1 to 11. Yes, verse 7 makes this very clear. In verse 7, Jesus says these amazing words, if you abide in me and my words, what are his words? The scriptures. And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This verse is the key to unlocking what it means for you and I to abide in Christ. And in this verse, Jesus very clearly says, when my words abide in you, that is when the scriptures abide in you, um, ask whatever you wish, talk to me, pray to me, and it will be done for you. Jesus is simply saying that we abide in him as we read the scriptures and his words dwell in us, and then we pray those scriptures back to him. Abiding in Christ is simply this. It's you and I cultivating our relationship with Jesus. And you and I must actively participate in this. We must read our Bibles and pray if we're going to cultivate our relationship with Jesus. The very essence of abiding in Christ is pursuing that relationship with Jesus, and that happens very simply through the word and prayer. If we are not willing to read our Bibles and pray, we will not abide in Christ, and we will not bear much fruit. It's that simple. It's that simple. When I was a brand new pastor in Virginia, 20 plus years ago, my boss was named Vince Hinders. And Vince was a very skilled pastor. And when Vince would uh, counsel with college students, and I was part of the college ministry, he would often invite me into his office and have me watch as he counseled others. And I learned a tremendous amount about pastoral ministry and the human soul by watching Vince skillfully counsel other people with the scriptures. And after a while, I thought to myself, man, it seems like there's only one set of verses in Vince's Bible. John 15, verses 1 to 11. He would often take young men to this particular portion of scripture. And the conversation often went like this. The young man would say to Pastor Vince, Pastor Vince, I am struggling with pornography. I've looked at pornography several hours this week. I feel increasingly enslaved, guilty, and trapped in the sin of lust. What am I to do? Would you please help? At this point, Vince would turn in his Bible to John 15, and he would say to the counselee, counselee, please open your Bible and turn to John 15. Then he would have the counselee read John 15, verses 1 to 11, out loud. Then Vince would say, these verses are very clearly telling us that if we're going to bear fruit, we need to cultivate our relationship with Jesus by reading the Bible and praying. And if we are not abiding in Christ in that way, Jesus says, we will not bear fruit. Jesus says, apart from that, you can do nothing. Then he would say to the counselee, are you reading your Bible and praying? And the counselee would say, well, honestly, no, I hardly read the Bible and pray at all. At that point, Vince would lean back in his chair, fold his arms across his chest, and pause for a few seconds, 
then he would say, friend, there is nothing I can do to help you. Pastor Dave can do nothing to help you. We are not Jesus. Change comes through relationship with Jesus. That's how you and I change. We change as we increasingly abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we bear more and more fruit. And we abide in Christ as we read the Bible and pray. That relationship with Jesus involves him talking to us, Scripture, us talking to him through prayer. And if you're not doing that, there is nothing that I can do to help you. Period. Vince was a wise, skillful pastor. He's right. There is nothing I can do, or Pastor John can do, or your home group leader can do, or your discipleship group leader can do to change you. Nothing. And as parents, that's really frustrating because we really want to change our kids, don't we? Don't we? Unless your kids are all perfect. I mean, mine are nearly perfect, but not quite perfect. As a parent, there is nothing I can do to regenerate my child or sanctify my child. That's God's work. Now, there's things I can do to put my children in position to receive those means of grace. I'm a huge fan of discipline and counseling and loving and being active parents. We need to do all kinds of things to parent. But when all's said and done, we can't change anyone. Only God can do that. And God changes us, spiritually speaking, as we abide in him. He is our power source. Apart from the nourishment that he provides, we can do nothing. Which raises the question, what sin are you currently facing? Pride? Anger? Anxiety? Bitterness? Gossip? Jealousy, sloth, greed, I don't know what it is. All of us have issues that we're dealing with. Power to overcome these sins comes through abiding in Christ. Change comes through a person, and we encounter that person in the pages of sacred Scripture. We encounter him as we read. John Piper says this, my main spiritual sustenance comes by the Holy Spirit from reading. Therefore, reading is more important to me than eating. If I went blind, I would pay to have someone read to me. I would try to learn Braille. I would buy books on tape. This is dated. I would rather go without food than go without books. You and I feel that way? I would rather go without food than the Bible. Do we feel that way? I think we should. Because our growth in godliness is far more important than our physical nourishment. Our main spiritual sustenance, our source of strength, comes through abiding in Christ, which means, again, the joy of Bible reading and prayer. What is keeping you this morning from abiding in Christ? Maybe you think you're too busy. We always make time for the things that are important to us, don't we? We make time for showers, we make time for eating, we make time for the things that really matter to us. 
If the Bible's not that important to you, then say, God, change my heart. I want the Bible to be more important to me, Lord, so would you please make it more important to me? Change my desires. Give me a desire to read your Bible and pray. Help me. Change me. God loves to answer that prayer. Maybe it's a lack of plan or a lack of accountability. You've got to have a plan for ingesting the Bible. Maybe that plan is as simple as, I'm just going to read a chapter a day. That would be a great place to start. Read one chapter a day. This last year, many of us were on the same Bible reading plan. I'm about to finish the Bible. I'll finish it in maybe two or three weeks. And so this last year, I read roughly four or five chapters a day. But this next year, I'm only going to read one chapter a day. I'm going to slow way down. I'm going to read one chapter, pray through it, meditate on it, read two or three study Bibles that go with it. Because I want to really understand, especially the Old Testament. So what is your plan? You've got to have a plan. And ask someone to hold you accountable to that plan. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent or someone in your small group. Say, would you please hold me accountable to reading the Bible? I want to abide in Christ more. Help me do that by praying for me and challenging me and asking me how that's going. Accountability makes a world of difference. How do we abide in Christ well, it starts with the spiritual disciplines. How, excuse me, how else do we abide in Christ? Spiritual disciplines and obedience. Obedience. Look with me at John 15, 9 to 10. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, a critical component of abiding in Christ is obedience. Obedience. When we keep Christ's commands, according to Jesus, we abide in his love. In other words, as we increasingly keep his commands, we experience more and more of his love. In one sense, praise God, God's love is unconditional. Aren't you glad? It's not conditioned on our obedience. But if we're going to experience God's love on a regular basis, Jesus says that we need to obey his commands. But here's the key. His love is what motivates us to obey his commands. Look at verse 9. These are amazing words. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Verse 9 indicates that Christ loves us the way the Father loves him. How does the Father love Jesus? With perfect love all the time, never a break. And Christ is saying here that he loves us, his children, as much as the Father loves him. And Jesus demonstrates that love for us amazingly by suffering and dying on the cross in our place. It's hard to think of a greater demonstration of the extravagant, perfect, and life-changing love of Jesus 
for us. That love for us is what motivates us to obey his commands. We don't obey his commands to get him to love us. He already loves us. Because he loves us and demonstrates that love for us on the cross, that's what motivates us to obey him. When you really love someone, what do you want to do for that person? You want to please them. If we really understand how much Christ loves us, how much the triune God loves us, we will want to please him, and we please God by obeying his commands. It's his love that motivates us to obey. Here's the point. We cultivate our relationship with Christ through our obedience. And again, Our obedience is not what justifies us. Our obedience is not what makes God love us. But when we obey, we abide in God's love according to the words of Christ, which means that we experience more of his love. Imagine this scenario. I take one of my sons to Froyo Earth at Wanamir and buy him a pound of frozen yogurt covered with all kinds of chocolate and sugar and candies. And then after that, I take him to GameStop and buy him a brand new gaming console with four new controllers, five new games, and a 100-inch projection system on the wall to game on. Then after that, uh, we go to Wonderland. I'm taking up my cross, and I'm dying I take my child to Wonderland, and we go on the go-karts, we do laser tag, we do mini golf, and then I buy him a pizza and some soda, and then I take him home. As we walk in the house, I say to my child, child, I want you to take off your shoes and take off your coat, and please hang your coat up on the hook. And then my child throws his body on the floor and screams and yells because I'm asking him to hang his coat up on the hook. Now, is that child cultivating his relationship with me? No. I still love him. He's still my child. I'm going to keep blessing him. But he's not cultivating his relationship with me. Is he? In a similar sense. If you're a Christian, God loves you. He has showered you with blessing upon blessing upon blessing. You are sitting here this morning. You are wearing clothes. You probably had food to eat this morning. You probably slept in a warm bed last night. You live in one of the wealthiest, freest countries in the history of the world. All that is common grace. That's God's blessing to you. You don't deserve any of that. And on top of all that, God decides to forgive you and adopt you, work all things for your good and his glory, and secure you a place in heaven. God has lavished you with love. When we disobey his commands, we are spurning his kindness. We are throwing little fits right in front of him. And we are not cultivating our relationship with him. We cultivate our relationship with Christ through grace-motivated obedience. Obedience. If you're a Christian and there is unrepentant sin in your life, you are not abiding in Christ. Yes, you're legally united to Christ, but you're not cultivating that vital union with Christ. 
Yes, you may still be a child of God, but you're not going to experience the warm countenance of his love until you repent of that sin and turn to him. Now, several weeks ago, I read to you from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was written by uh, some brilliant theologians in the 1640s. I'd like to read this section to you again because it describes so well what it looks like for a Christian to live in unrepentant sin. And the authors of the Westminster Confession say this, although they, that is Christians in unrepentant sin, although they never can fall from the state of justification, praise God, praise God, yet they may, by their sins, fall under their God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Said so well. Let go of your sin. It will only ruin your life and keep you from experiencing the love of Christ. Let go of your sin. Turn away from your sin. Trust in Jesus. He loves to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. The essence of abiding in Christ is reading our Bibles, praying, and obeying Christ's commands. That's the essence of it. But what is the result of abiding in Christ? What does all this lead to? And that brings up the third and final point. So first is the necessity of abiding in Christ. Second is the essence of abiding in Christ. And third is the result of abiding in Christ. One result of abiding in Christ is abundant fruit. Back to verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, not just some fruit or a little fruit, but much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Here's the good news. Those who abide in Christ will produce abundant fruit, much fruit, Jesus says. But what is that fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and following. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Who wants more joy and peace? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Who wants more self-control? Raise your hand. Self-control in every area of life. And then he says, against such things, there is no law. When you and I abide in Christ, Christ by the Spirit begins to produce fruit in us, and that fruit leads to more and more fruit, and it leads to more and more glory for God. God saves us from sins, the devil, and wrath, but he also saves us to something, and he saves us to a life of bearing fruit for his glory. You and I exist. We're still alive on planet Earth to glorify God as we bear fruit in our lives. But here's the catch. 
Fruit trees only bear abundant fruit as they are pruned. And pruning is often painful. Going back to verses 1 to 3, we see that God the Father is the one who prunes us. Many Christians want to bear more fruit, but they complain or grumble during discipline, trial, hardships, and pain. This is God pruning us. According to the Bible, all hardship is discipline, and God only disciplines those that he loves, and that discipline produces more and more fruit. And again, the pruning, the discipline is often painful, isn't it? I've never heard anyone say to me, man, that season of prosperity I just experienced was amazing. I grew so much through all that prosperity. Never heard that. But I've heard from numerous people, that season of incredible pain and anguish and loss, it was hard, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because in that season, I grew by leaps and bounds. That's God pruning us. I love what one commentator says about this. Your heavenly Father is never nearer to you than when he is pruning you. Sometimes he cuts away the dead wood that might cause trouble, but often he cuts off the living tissue that is robbing you of spiritual vigor. Pruning does not simply mean spiritual surgery that removes what is bad. It can also mean cutting away the good and the better so that we might enjoy the best. Yes, pruning hurts, but it also helps. We may not enjoy it, but we need it. The more we abide in Christ, the more fruit we will bear. And the more fruit we bear, the more the Father has to prune us so that the quality keeps up with the quantity. There is no easy path to spiritual growth. We grow the most when the Father is pruning us. If you're you're being pruned right now, it means that God loves you and God's at work. One result of abiding in Christ is the production of abundant fruit. Another result of abiding in Christ is abundant joy. John 15, 10 to 11 If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abiding in Christ, obeying Christ, loving Christ are not meant to rob us of joy. They lead to more and more and more joy. What kind of joy? The the kind of joy that Jesus has inside of him. Perfect joy, abundant joy. Jesus says that our joy may be full at the end of verse 11. Do you want to experience joy? Of course you do. But so often we look for joy in all the wrong places. More wealth, more vacations, more success, better health a better body. None of those things are going to ultimately satisfy us. 
You and I were hardwired to find all of our joy and satisfaction and delight through our relationship with Jesus as we abide in him. And the question is, do you and I really believe that? If we really believe that, we'll spend a lot less time binge-watching Netflix and Amazon Prime Video, and we'll spend a lot more time pursuing Christ through the scriptures and through prayer. We've looked at the necessity of abiding in Christ, the essence of abiding in Christ, the result of abiding in Christ, which leads us back to the beginning. Sailing without wind is impossible. I've tried. Flying without wings is impossible. Running from here to Chicago without stopping is impossible, even for ultra runners who run 150 miles without stopping. In a similar sense, trying to bear fruit, apart from abiding in Christ, is impossible. It's impossible. But here's the good news. All of us who are Christians this morning can abide in Christ. He's given us everything we need to cultivate our relationship with him. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and your life is being ruined by sin, God says to you that he loves you and he wants to forgive you and he wants to transform you. All you have to do is turn away from your sins and cast yourself entirely on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And when you do, he will forgive you, break the power of sin in you, come and dwell inside of you, and enable you to abide in him, and then you'll experience much fruit and abundant joy. When we abide in Christ, we can do the impossible. We can bear fruit for his glory. Let's pray together.